Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. So right now we're going to go ahead and, um, as I mentioned, we're going to continue our worship by studying the Word of God, the eternal Word. Because it came from an eternal God. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. As we break the bread of your word, we pray that you would give us open and receptive hearts to receive what you want to speak into our lives tonight and to also receive the work you desire to do in us and through us by the power of your spirit. We pray, Lord, for all of your servants that you'll empower your servants, that you would use them for your glory, that you help us all to serve, not just in your power, but also in joy and in love. And of course, with the heart of gratitude. So Father, I do pray for the gift of teaching. I pray for a fresh filling of your spirit and that I would decrease and you increase, Father. And may each and every one of us in this place leave better than when we came in. All for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. And we're going to look at verses 43 through 54. The title of tonight's message is, Where Are You Warming Yourself? Where Are You Warming Yourself? So at this point in our study, it's still Thursday night of Passion or Holy Week. And Jesus had just finished praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he has just decided once and for all to drink the cup of God the Father's wrath on account of our sin, not because he sinned. Perfect is who he was. Perfect God, perfect in his humanity. But of course, he would go to the cross on account of our sins, would die in our place, die as our substitute, as our sin offering. And so once and for all, he made that decision. Although he already knew the Father's will, he, in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he was being crushed, as he was in agony, he prayed multiple times that that cup of the Father's wrath will pass from him. But then he said those famous words, not what I will, but what you will. And so that's what we've seen in our last study. And in verse 43 of Mark chapter 14, it says, and immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12 with a great multitude with swords and clubs, they came from the chief or these leading priests. And they also came with the scribes who were the teachers of the law. That is the law of Moses or the Mosaic law. And also the elders. And these elders were the representative laymen from local families of influence. Now in John chapter 18 verse 2. We're told that Judas knew the place. Because Jesus met with his disciples often in that garden of Gethsemane. And we see that Judas 
The betrayer will come with a large group of men who were sent by the chief priests, who were sent by the scribes and elders, these people who made up the Sanhedrin. And we're going to talk about that later. Now, this group that came to arrest Jesus included Roman soldiers, Jewish temple guards, and other Jewish authorities. And they came, of course, with their weapons. They came with their lanterns and their torches. And in verse 44, it says, now his betrayer had given them a signal. He gave this multitude of men a signal saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away safely. As soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him. He went up to Jesus and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, that is my great one or my master. And he kissed him. He kissed Jesus. Matthew twenty six fifty says, but Jesus said to him, friend, why have you come? And in Luke 22, verse 48, Jesus also asked a question. Are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? Now, during that time, a kiss on the cheek was a common greeting. It was a sign of affection, respect, honor, and it was a sign of devotion or loyalty. And the Greek word behind kissed in verse 45 actually indicates that Judas kissed Jesus repeatedly or tenderly. In Proverbs 27, verse 6, New King James Version, it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And this is how that same verse is worded in the New Living Translation. It says, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. So in other words, a friend comes to us and they share the word of God with us. Maybe we are in error and they speak the truth and love to us. And so, yes, the words of a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy because the kisses from an enemy, in this case, Judas being the enemy of Jesus are deceitful. He's pretending like he's loyal or devoted to Jesus, but he's really not. And that reminds us of some people today because some people today, they pretend they put on the front as if they're a believer, as if they're loyal or devoted to Jesus but they're false converts or, of course, they're not really loyal to him. False believers. And Jesus spoke about the false convert. He spoke about people who only gave lip service, but they really didn't believe in their hearts. They really weren't loyal in their hearts because in Luke 6:46, and these are the words of our Savior, he says, By, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say. He even says that there's many who's going to say, Lord, Lord, but they're not going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus will go on to say in Matthew chapter 7 that only those who did the will of the Father, those are the people who would enter into heaven. 
because those are the people who just don't have a head commitment. They don't just assent to the truth. Just mentally, just knowing that Jesus is real, just knowing that God is real. But then, of course, they would make a heart commitment. And so those people who make a heart commitment and are truly born again, they're born again Christians. In other words, they have received a new nature from above. They received a new nature from God. Those are the people who are going to desire to do the will of God. They're going to do the will of God. The scriptures tell us that we're not alone in this for it is God who works in us both to will. That is both to desire and to do for his good pleasure. When God's children, he stirs our hearts to desire the things that are of him. And he helps us to do those things that pleases him. But let's look at John chapter 18 verses 4 through 8 because we want to fill in the blanks as we look at the story, as we look at the narrative. It says, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that will come upon him, he went forward and he said to them, whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now, when he said to them, I am he. Notice this. They drew back. They stepped back and they fell to the ground. And then he asked them again, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. Now, I wonder why did Jesus have to be identified? Why did Jesus have to be identified by Judas's kiss and even by Jesus himself? He had to identify himself. Well, one reason I want to throw out there is, for one, it was dark. Remember, it's Thursday night, it's dark. But another reason, and I think it's a very important reason or point that demonstrates why he had to be identified by a kiss or even by himself was that he looked like an ordinary Jewish man who grew up in Nazareth in the region of Galilee. It shows us that Jesus didn't stand out. When Jesus became a man, he he didn't try to stand out as the richest. He didn't try to stand out as the tallest. He didn't try to stand out as the most handsome man ever. He took on the full human experience apart, of course, from the sin nature. He didn't have a sin nature, but he did things the rest of us would have to do. Eat and drink water and rest and work. His trade was a carpenter. And so Jesus did those things. And of course, he didn't. From a human standpoint, didn't have any extra advantages with his looks and money and all that. In fact, I like what it says in Isaiah 53, 2. It says, speaking of the servant or speaking of the Messiah, it says, for he shall grow up before him. He shall grow up before the Lord or God the Father as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. It says he has no form or a comeliness. 
There's nothing majestic about him, about his looks. And when we see him, there is no beauty. There is no attractiveness that we should desire him. And so, yes, for one, it was dark. And for the second reason, as I mentioned before, he was ordinary as far as his looks. Just, just from Nazareth. That's where he grew up. But that reminds us of the fact that we cannot tell God, we cannot tell Jesus that he doesn't understand what we go through. My God, I'm not the richest person. I don't have the best shoes or best clothing. I don't have the biggest house. I don't have the longest hair. I don't even have a head full of hair. I used to when I had a ponytail, but now I don't. My hairline is running from my forehead. And so some of us are, are that way. Some of us have other defects on our bodies, our physical being or bodies. So we can't tell God, we can't tell Jesus that, Lord, you don't know what, it's, what it is to be ordinary. Lord, you don't know what it feels like to be overlooked because I don't look like someone else. I don't have the skin color or skin tone that someone else has. I didn't grow up in that same neighborhood as someone else grew up in. And so, God, you don't understand what I'm going through. You don't know what it means to be overlooked. But God will remind us that doesn't matter how you look, doesn't matter where you've come from. Doesn't matter how much you have or how much you don't have. It doesn't matter about your education level or how many degrees you have or don't have. Doesn't matter how many children you have. Don't care what your bank account looks like. Don't care what kind of hairstyle you have. I don't care what the texture of your hair is. But God will have us to know that He loves us the way we are, He loves us the way we look. He loves us the way we dress, even without the fanciest clothes. He loves us whether or not we have glasses. And Jesus set the tone for that. He was an ordinary man as far as his looks are concerned. But also something interesting in this story in John 18 verses 5 through 8, we, we notice that something Extraordinary happens when Jesus identifies himself. When he identifies himself by saying, I am he. When they told him that they were looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Now notice that they fell back. They stepped back and they fell to the ground when he said, I am he. But there's something about that statement that Jesus said. Because in the original text, The word he is not found in there. So if you notice, if you have the New King James Version, the word he is italicized. It was added by the translator. So what is Jesus really saying? I am. That's all he's saying. He's saying I am. And so no wonder they fell back because this is the same name that God used when he spoke to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 when he was preparing Moses to be the human deliverer of the Israelites out of Egypt because the Israelites were being oppressed. 
And Moses told God, or he asked God, you know, when the people ask, what is your name? What should I tell them? And, and God told Moses, I am that I am. Tell them that I am. And we see here Jesus using that same name that God used would, would make Jesus God. So this is a claim to deity. And no wonder they drew back and fell to the ground when he said, I am. No wonder they drew back and fell to the ground at the declaration of who he is. Because there is power in the name of God. There was power in the name of Jesus. Because at the name of Jesus, demons have to flee. At the name of Jesus, we can overcome our problems. We can overcome our struggles. We can overcome our addictions. If you have a problem spiritually and you're trying to figure out a way to be saved, there is no other name by which man can be saved than the name of Jesus. And so there's power even in the name of Jesus to save people out of sin and out of hell, out of that second death. There was power in his name. But now this episode that we see in John 18 verses 4 through 8 also shows us that Jesus could have escaped if he wanted to. He could have escaped if he wanted to because if he said, I am, and they drew back and fell, they stepped back and fell, he could have took off if he wanted to. He could have defeated them just with words. But they were able to take him because he had surrendered to the will of the Father. In verses 46 and 47, back in Mark 14, it says, Then they laid their hands on him and took him. And then if you want to write down Luke twenty-two forty-nine 49, for the sake of filling in the gaps, It says that when those around Jesus saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And then back in Mark 14, verse 47, it says, and one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now, in the gospel, according to John, Peter is identified as the person or the disciple who cut off the servant of the high priest's right ear. And that servant's name was Malchus. You see, Peter tried to defend the Lord using human means, using a physical weapon, trying to do it his way. He tried to defend our Lord. And there's a reminder for us to be careful of how we try to defend Jesus by way of Christian apologetics. Or when we try to defend the faith, when we try to defend the faith and tell people who Jesus really is, be careful how we use the sword of the Spirit, which of course is the Word of God. Because the sword of the Spirit, that is the Word of God, can be used to harm folks if we use the wrong tone, if we have the wrong motive, if we have the wrong attitude could be used to harm people or we could use it to help people. And so we have to be ready at all times. The scriptures does tell us, the scriptures do tell us to be ready, be ready to give an answer to every man who asks a reason for the hope that is within us. 
Be ready to give an answer to people who ask, why do we serve the Lord? Why do we put our faith in Jesus? Why do we believe that Jesus is perfect and that he is the son of God? He's the Messiah, that he is God, that he is coming back for his bride, the church, one day. People ask us for a reason for that hope we have in us about Jesus. We should be able to give a defense. But once again, be careful. Don't be a Peter in this instance. Be careful with how we swing the sword of God. In Matthew 26, verses 52 through 54. Again, we get into some more details here. It says, but Jesus said to him, he said to Peter, Put your sword in this place for all who take, take or use the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he would provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? In Luke twenty two fifty one, 51, it says that Jesus added permit even this. Allow this. And then another way Jesus shows that he knew what he must do is by asking this question. In John 18, verse 11, he asked this question in this situation. He says, shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? But as we look back at, at Matthew um, or at Luke 22, verse 51, As we look back at that verse, it reminds us that Jesus, even in this moment, was still working. He was still healing because he said, or the scriptures tell us, that he touched his ear. He touched Malchus's ear and healed him. Now, remember what Jesus says about the angels here. That if he really wanted to escape, well, first of all, we've seen that he could have just spoken the word and they would have backed off and he would have gotten away. But, but here, Matthew 26, 53, he asked the question once again, or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? You know what a legion is? A legion was the main unit of a Roman army in New Testament times. And ordinarily, it would number about maybe 6,000 men. And so if Jesus wanted to, he said that he could pray to the Father to provide him with more than 72,000 angels. You know how powerful one angel is? But if he wanted to, he can, he can call on the Father to send more than 72 thousand angels and back in mark 14 verses 48 and 49 it says then jesus answered and said to them now who is the them well the them are the multitudes the chief priests the captains or officers of the temple guard and the elders he asked them have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me says i was daily with you in the temple I was daily with you in the temple complex that is teaching and you did not seize me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. And Luke twenty two fifty three 53 adds this. He says, 
but it is your hour. In other words, it is your moment and the power of darkness. In other words, he's saying, this is your time to get your licks in. And guess what? You better get your licks in now. You better do your thing now because Jesus is about to defeat the power of the devil. He's about to defeat the enemy. He's about to secure salvation for mankind for anyone who wills to come. See, that salvation, that forgiveness of sin, that mercy and grace from God is going to be available to all. But Jesus knows that the enemy is going to have to have his moment during this time as he would go through these wicked trials, these illegal trials, by the way. As he would go through the scourgings and the spitting upon and the slaps and the insults. As he would go through the nails and as he would hang on the cross. This is your moment in the power of darkness. He understood exactly what he was getting into. He has submitted to the will of the father in that garden of Gethsemane. But one thing I want to share with you is the fact that Jesus pointed out that they were treating him like a criminal. Now, this is the word of God, the living word of God, their creator in human flesh being treated like a criminal. Treated him like a robber. They came out as if he were some violent person. And some people today even still treat Jesus as if he were a criminal. They treat Jesus as if. He was someone who, were, who was spreading false ideas. Oh, I like the loving part of Jesus. I like the sight of Jesus. When he said, if no one else has sinned, if nobody sinned, then cast the first stone. I like that side of Jesus, some people would say. But when Jesus would speak the truth about something they didn't like. They look at him as the bad guy. They treat him as if he were a criminal, as if he were some type of crazy person. And so it wasn't just these people here that we're looking at in the narrative, but it's still going on today. But Jesus says, this is. This is time the scriptures must be fulfilled. And Jesus, by the way, wasn't caught any sooner He wasn't caught any later even than he was supposed to be caught or arrested. We see through the narrative, we see through the gospels that the religious leaders have been plotting about how to kill Jesus. But once again, it wasn't his time. There was still something for him to do. And I believe that as long as God is still using us. As long as there's still something for us to do, some purpose that he wants us to fulfill, that we're not going to be taken out of here any sooner or later than than that. See, God has a plan, but while we're still here, we need to be doing his will, just like Jesus did. And things will be done according to God's word. The scriptures will be fulfilled as Jesus declared. They will be fulfilled and according to his timing. 
And then they all forsook. They deserted Jesus and left. It tells us in Mark 14, 50. So this all happened as Jesus said it would happen. It was all based upon his word. Because Zechariah 13, 7, something that Jesus quoted in Mark 14, 27, declared that they would forsake him. Declared that they would desert him. But now a certain man in verses 51 and 52 followed Jesus and he had on a linen cloth thrown around his naked body. And it says that the young man laid hold of him and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. Now, the interesting thing about verses 51 and 52 is that this detail is only included in the gospel according to Mark. And so many Bible scholars believe that this is probably Mark. But of course, we can't be dogmatic about that. In verse 53, it says, And they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribe. In verse 54, it says, But Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. Now, John 18, 13 tells us that they had led Jesus to honest first. And John 18, 15 tells us that John had also followed Jesus here to where honest was, to honest's house. Now, at this time, honest was the father-in-law of Caiaphas. See, Caiaphas was the high priest during that time. He was the ruling high priest from A.D. 18 through 36. But Annas had been the high priest during A.D. 6 or 7 up until A.D. 15. And then Annas was was actually removed from office by Valerius Gratis, who was the Roman procurator of Judea. But this honest, he continued to have influence in his later years, even though he may not have been the official high priest that was installed. That would be Caiaphas, as I mentioned earlier. And so according to John's account, Jesus was questioned by honest about his disciples and about his doctrine, about what he taught. And some men there, they didn't like the way that Jesus had answered Annas, who was also called the high priest. And so one of the officers or temple police, they, they slapped Jesus. And then Annas sent Jesus bound to Caiaphas, who was the official high priest and also his son-in-law. As I mentioned earlier, the gospel of Mark doesn't include this pretrial of Jesus. The gospel of Mark doesn't tell us about Jesus standing before Annas, who is the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the official high priest. And so in Mark's account, we're moving directly to the trial before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin, by the way, is the Jewish high court. It was the highest Jewish council or ruling body in the first century. And this council had 70 members and Caiaphas, who was the high priest, he he served as president and convener 
of the Sanhedrin. But I want to get back to Peter before we end the lesson tonight. Because the scriptures tell us that that Peter followed Jesus at a distance. As Jesus was on his way to trial, Peter followed him at a distance. And then he will finally end up in the courtyard of the high priests. The scriptures tell us that Peter sat with the servants and the officers. And it says that he warmed himself at the fire that they started. They had their coals. They had whatever they used to get the fire started, to get the flames going. And, and Peter, who followed far behind Jesus to remain unnoticed, he found himself in the cold air there at that point in that courtyard. And now he's warming himself at the fire. So the question I want to pose to all of us tonight is, where are we warming ourselves? In other words, I'm asking, where are we getting comfortable or blending in? Are are we trying to fit in somewhere that we don't belong? Where are we warming ourselves? Or by what source are we allowing ourselves to be influenced? Because there are many people today, and we see it as plain as day, who call themselves Christians or followers of Christ, who are warming themselves at the enemy's fire. They're warming themselves at the world's fire, this world system that is influenced by Satan. Because the scriptures tell us, and we have to remember this, that the whole world lies under the sway of the enemy, the little g, God of this world. It's God of this age. He influences the world's ways, this world system. And unfortunately, many Christians find themselves warming themselves at this world system's fire. See, by way of fitting in or trying to blend in, they're becoming accustomed to the world's ways. They're becoming accustomed to the world's way of thinking. And they begin to even pick up the world's way of arguing about certain issues. But Romans 12, 2 tells us this. It says, and do not be conformed to this world. Don't blend in. Don't try to fit in. Don't warm yourself, so to speak, to this world system, to their fire. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There is no transformation if the mind isn't renewed. There's no transformation if there's no born again process, if there's no new nature that comes from God. And so be transformed by the renewing of your mind that what? That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That word prove means to recognize as genuine after examination. So after examination... We'll be able to discern or recognize what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. But we cannot know what is that good, pleasing, and perfect will of God if we're not transformed by the renewing of our mind. Because without that transformation, without having our mind renewed, then we are only stuck with this natural way of looking at things. We're only stuck with the influence that we receive from warming ourselves at the 
fire of this world system. You see, the world right now, they claim to be woke. They, they claim to be aware of what's going on in society. They have this perceived intellectual superiority. Oh, this, this woke culture that we're in. But they may be, quote unquote, woke in the sense that they want to be woke in. But they're asleep when it comes to the spiritual things of God. You see, they would go after children's books. But they're not concerned with children being exposed to sexual content on television. See, they're more concerned with canceling views that are different from theirs on social media than being concerned with trying to cancel pornography and even child pornography on social media. But they're woke, but sleep to the spiritual things of God. They're more concerned with complaining about relations between different ethnic groups, but not about sharing the solution. And the solution is the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for the Jew first and also for the Greek. The scriptures tell us in Romans 1.16. You see these people who claim to be woke. They're warming themselves at this world system's fire. They, they're more concerned with the color of Jesus' skin than the fact that his blood was red and his blood was shed. Oh, that's more important. You see, we need to warm ourselves at the fire that God set for us. You see, in the scriptures, Peter was hanging out at the fire that the servants and these officers had struck up. They got their own coals going, but we need to warm ourselves at the fire that God started. And the fire that God started had came out from eternity, which is his word of God. That is the fire that God started. Because it is the same word that the prophet Jeremiah said was, was shut up in his heart. It was in his heart and it was, it was like a burning fire that was shut up in his bones. You see, Jeremiah, he was upset. He was discouraged because of the ministry that God had given to him. He didn't seem to be getting anywhere. He was speaking the truth. He was speaking exactly what God told him to speak. But then he was being mocked. He was being ridiculed. He was being made fun of and and Jeremiah, at this point, he was discouraged and he had determined in his heart that he wasn't going to speak the word of God anymore, that he was going to hold it in. But it said that the word was in Jeremiah's, the prophet's heart, as if it were fire shut up in his bones. And so that is the fire that we need to be warming ourselves at. We need to be warming ourselves at the fire again that God started, that God inspired, which is the word of God. That's where we need to get comfortable. That's where we need to fit in. That is where we need to blend in at the Lord's fire, the word of God. We need to be influenced, not by the philosophies of the world, not by the arguments of the world, not by the quote unquote fake wokeness of the world, but we need to be influenced by the word of God, the fire that God started. See, it is through the word of God in combination, of course, with his precious Holy Spirit, that we become more like Jesus and we begin to stand out more in the darkness. You have to understand there is darkness around us. And right now we see that this, this is an hour of darkness. But in the hour of darkness, we need to shine more bright. See, Jesus called us not only the salt of the earth, but also the light of the world. 
And we don't create our own light. We are like the moon. We are light reflectors. He is the sun. Jesus Christ is. And we reflect his light. Just like the moon reflects the light of the literal sun that we see in the sky. And so we should be standing out in the darkness. We should be shining more in the darkness. And not warming ourselves at the world's fire. But there's too many people, of course, warming themselves at other fires. And they're getting comfortable there. They're fitting in. And it shows what's influencing them. Unsaved people, as well as, unfortunately, saved people, warming warming themselves at the wrong fires. But the church as a whole and us as individuals, we need to be inviting the world to warm themselves at the fire where we warm ourselves at the word of God. We need to be influenced by the word of God. The world needs to be influenced by the word of God. Not by these other fires that are man-made. And if you're not a believer tonight, I would encourage you to take the offer of God who, who's standing there with his arms wide open. The reconciliation process on his part is done. He's facing us. Arms are facing us, stretched out toward us. The only thing left is for man, the person who has not put their faith in Christ. What's left for them is to repent, is to turn around and put their faith in Christ and be reconciled to him. Complete that process of reconciliation. But if you're a Christian tonight and you found yourself compromising or or, or warming yourselves at the world's fired. I want to encourage you to repent. Those of you who strayed, you've been wandering. I encourage you to repent. And get back to that fire that God has started. Because any other fire, whether it's man-made philosophies and whether it's arguments or man-made ideas or man-made religions, false doctrines, those things are going to die out. The flames from, from those fires, those man-made fires, they're going to die out. See, but the word of God, which is inspired by God, is God breathed, is breathed out by him and given to men that he set apart to write down his holy word. Oh, that word that is God breathed. Like I mentioned earlier, it's, it, that, that fire is started by him. You see, that word, which is his truth and which tells us about his ways, that word, that fire, so to speak, is eternal. And and it provides the answers, all the answers that people are looking for today. Whether it's answers about life, answers about certain lifestyles, answers about what's right or what's wrong. Not based on how somebody feels today. Oh, today I feel that this is right. Today I feel that this is wrong. But two years later, oh, all of a sudden what's wrong is right and right is wrong. Well, the word of God isn't that way. 
We could always find the truth about what's right and what's wrong. See, in the word of God, the fire that God started, the one that was ignited by God, inspired by God. Again, people can find the answers they're looking for about who God is. And if they really wanted to know, they would, they would come to understand that, that, that God is the one who created the universe. God is the one. The God of the Bible is the one who created them. He's the one who loves them. They will come to understand that they're fearfully and wonderfully made by this eternal God of the Bible. That this God is, yes, a God of wrath, but he's also a God of love. He's a God of grace and he's also a God of mercy. That this God, as part of his attributes, he's an infinite God. And because he's an infinite God, whatever else about his nature is infinite. That means he has infinite love. That means he has infinite grace. That means he has infinite mercy. As the worship team takes the stage. But also from the word of God. We come to know the answers about even its eternity. People are concerned about what happens after death. Well, if they will warn themselves at God's fire, they will come to know that. And if if they will receive the truth that is in the word of God, then they will come to know the Jesus who opens the door for them to spend eternity with God. So, yes, we... We need to be asking ourselves, where are we warming ourselves? Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. And Father, I ask that you would forgive us if we've been compromising lately. I pray, Father, that you would draw us away from those fires that are not lit by you. And we do pray for our brothers and sisters who maybe have fallen into this sin, Lord. We don't want to cast stones at them and be judgmental, but we pray for them. As we know, Lord, that you want them to live as the light that you called them to be. But we also pray for anyone, Lord, who's in this building or maybe listening to the audio at this point or watching online at this time. If there's anyone who's not saved, who cannot remember a time they have repented, that they've turned from their sin and put their faith in Christ. They can't remember a time like that, and they're not sure about where they would spend eternity. Lord, I pray that you would soften their hearts, remove the blinders, and draw them to Jesus Because your word says, Father, that nobody can come to the Son except the Father draws him. And nobody can get to the Father except through Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Oh, Father, we love you. We thank you. We give you praise. 
We also pray, Lord, for those who will be leaving this place, but not from your presence. That they will leave this place in courage, Father. That they will leave this place more equipped and then you'll continue to equip them throughout the remainder of this week and use them in a mighty way. Until Jesus comes back for his bride, we love you and thank you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.